Hey everyone, Tessa Stuckey here with For the Sake of Our Youth. I just want to take a quick second to thank you for listening and joining me on this journey. This is a really scary world that we live in and being a parent is without a doubt the hardest job in the world. I am a mom of four, I'm a therapist, and now I'm an author. I'm so excited to announce that my book, For the Sake of Our Youth, was recently published in April. You can find it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. As a therapist, I get this amazing advantage to hear what's going on in today's world for our youth, and I just can't be quiet about it, to understand what's going on in today's culture and how it's affecting our kids' emotions. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's not looking good. I have always said that I could talk about this forever, so much so that I could write a book about it. So I wrote the book about it, but I'm not done talking. So here we go. Ooh, also, sorry. If you're liking what you're hearing, go ahead and subscribe so that you get updated whenever there's a new episode that comes out. Maybe even leave a review. That would help other parents find this podcast easier. I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Also, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can find me at the mom therapist. For more information, go to that's with an ey.com. Hey, hey, everyone. I want to introduce my next guest, Jethro Jones. So Jethro has a podcast called Transformative Principle, and he reached out to me like a year ago and was like, I really want you to speak on my podcast. And I was like, why would a principal want to talk to me even though, okay, wait, I do give presentations at schools. Okay, this might fit. Anyways, we had a great conversation about all the things with my book, and it hit me oh my gosh, I need to have him on here because he is going to help me give perspective for school administrators, teachers, um, anyone that works with kids, really. So he is just a great speaker and has so many great insights. And I just love what he does. He also goes and teaches schools how to be a trauma-informed school and I love that and I really want to try to get him to come to Texas to work with my kids schools so I hope you guys enjoy if you're a teacher a principal or just anyone who works with kids this is the episode for you so Um, okay you live in Washington now yeah yep so Where, where in Washington in Spokane okay so I left being a principal to um, to go uh, do to do consulting full time, uh-huh. and so that's what I'm working on now. Yeah, I think so it was it was pretty. You were good. saying somebody that follows you also follows me. Yeah, that isn't that crazy? It? Yeah, that is yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, and it's somebody that I know personally, and so oh. he follows me because he's my friend. But he yeah. and his wife, his wife loves your book. Her name Wait. is Elise. Oh my gosh, yeah. this makes me feel really important right now. I know. Doesn't it feel so good? Yeah, yes. I'm serious. I will even read you the text Someone just a minute. Let me pull book? it up. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> he has, so they have a daughter who's my daughter's age, who's 14. Yeah. yeah. And these two parents are so like saintly and um, so good yeah. that I, I think they have no idea what their daughter yeah. can be involved in. Right. And so after we talked, after we did that podcast on on Thursday, I was thinking Mm -hmm. this is going to be great for that Mm -hmm. family because it's going to give them some strategies and tools to be able to talk to their daughter um, and their, 
their other kids who are younger um, yeah. as this kind of stuff comes up. So, yeah, I think that that's what happens a lot with parents is there's so mm-hmm. many parents who, who really and truly just are not aware. And yeah. I don't mean this in a, I think I use the word naive, but I don't mean that in a negative way. I think right. that there's a lot of parents who have a very positive mindset and have a really good heart and really great involved parents but they are so unaware or just it wouldn't even cross their mind to be worried about something like that, Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing because there's so many of those parents and my kids just the other day, one of my sons, he, he's my seven year old who loves technology. And so he's always like, mom, how old will I be when I get a phone? And so I'm like, well, you're going to get a phone, but it will only be for texting and calling, you know, when you're like 11 ish. And he's like, okay, okay. And then he's like, well, someone in my class, he's in second grade. Some there's two kids in my class that have a new, the newest iPhone. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. And then my other son was like, mom, why, why do parents give their kids iPhones and other parents don't? And I just say like, I don't, I guess they just don't under, they don't know. Those parents just Mm. don't know the ramifications of giving their kid an iPhone. I, I, I have to believe that. I don't want Mm -hmm. to believe that a parent does know all the negatives and still gives it to their kid. I hope that I, I try not to think that that happens, even though I know it happens, but I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, you know? Yeah. Um, And I don't think that that happens um, as much as you and I might think it does. I think parents truly don't get it. I I do too. If they knew, if they understood what was out there, they would, they'd be like, no way. Um, And I was talking to my brother who's got kids. His youngest daughter is the age of my second daughter. And so um, he's a little bit older uh, and, and his kids, um, He's like, man, if I could go back, I would have never given him phones. That's what, and that's what I hear all the time, you know, and it's like, okay, so I heard that so much at work that it became a very clear answer for me, how I was going to raise my kids. But there are, I will say there are some people that I do come across that I talk to about this stuff and even like a good, um, interactive conversation. Like they're very interested in what I have to say but then they still give their phone, their, their phones to their kids or they still have. And I'm just kind of baffled by that. And I, I really do think that it's for some people, it's just overwhelmingly too scary or they just want to do the whole, not my kid thing or in denial that their child could fall victim to some of this stuff. I don't know or it's too convenient. I think that that's really a lot of it is like, it's really convenient to give your kid a screen when you need them to be quiet or you need to get something done or they're used to having it all the time that it's just so easy to give it to them that um, I think that's why parents continue to give it to them. I don't know. It's. I'm afraid you're right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think also, is at least in my community, I live in a very affluent community. You know, when I was growing up here, it was a competition of like, what kind of BMW are you going to get for your 16th birthday? And I almost feel like it's that same mindset for like, they're like 10 and 11 year olds of like, Oh, give, I want to give my kid the brand new Apple 
phone to kind of brag about and keeping up with the Joneses and that sort of thing. It's really sad. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So um, I am a former principal, been a uh, school principal for many years and just recently left that to do consulting with schools and um, help them figure out how to do their whole school system better. Um, it's possible and it's simple, but it's not always easy. And mm -hmm. so I, I help school leaders with that. I coach school principals and uh, work with superintendents to make their districts better and things like that. Um, and I've got four kids, uh, ages 14 to nine, and three girls and one boy. And um, uh, it's important to say, because it's changed so much about how I think about things, that my oldest daughter has Down syndrome. And that experience really changed what uh, what I felt about education, about human development, about compassion and empathy. And it really made a, a big impact and continues to because, um, because what I've been able to do because of that is see how all of my children are unique and have their different gifts. And yeah. by extension, how all children are unique and have their own gifts as well. Yeah. So your oldest daughter is not your oldest child? She is my okay. oldest child. So your firstborn but, has Down syndrome. Yep, and that's you right. have two other girls and a boy. Is he the yep. youngest? No, he's the third of four. I wonder what it's like to be the only boy in a house full of girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, uh, so there are some challenges for sure. To nine. Those are, those are yeah. really close in age. Yeah. We yeah. just, we, we packed them all in there and yeah. I wanted to have uh, my youngest kid by the time I was 30. So, yeah. so that's what we did. We just you sound took care like of business. Me and my husband. We, we yeah. were done at 28. <laughs> yep. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, okay. So we connected when you were still living in, in Alaska, working as a principal. And I know Alaska has a huge suicide rate. Were you seeing that a lot within the school system? Uh, so what we saw a lot of was suicidal ideation Okay. in the schools that I worked at. We never had a suicide for which I'm very oh, grateful nice. and proud nice. um, because that that's a big part of how you, how you deal with that is by finding it out before it happens so that you can do some intervention to, sure. to help with it. And so when I, um, I had some training about it before I went to Alaska, but it was in Alaska where I really saw it because it was the ideation was out there Everywhere. all the time. Yeah. What and age so, group did you? <clears throat> were uh, mostly middle school for okay. me, but I did do K through twelve um, okay. total. So, uh, so mostly middle school though, and that's an, an age where you know that there's a lot of um, you know changes and yeah. uh, kids that don't totally understand what's going on and yeah. and how to manage it all. So. Yeah. It's an important age to, to really pay attention and, and be there to help them. Yeah. So there was a lot of suicidal ideation. So how did you intervene? What was, what did you find that was helpful? So we had this philosophy that I learned from my superintendent, Stuart McDonald, um, that I thought was just fantastic. The idea was that you overreact mm -hmm. and you under sensationalize. Mm -hmm. So Everybody knows that it's happening. So you don't need to like go gossip and tell everybody that it's happening. Right. But you need to tell the right people that it's happening. And when you tell the right people that it's happening, then they can actually do something. Yeah. And when I when I do uh, like 
presentations and stuff with schools about dealing with trauma, this piece comes in. And one of the important pieces is that you have to know what your role is. And as a teacher or as a principal or as a parent, your role is not to be a counselor to right. your own kids or to other people's kids. Yeah. And so you as a counselor have specific training for that and you know how to work with someone long-term to make a plan and everything that you need to do with that. Yeah. As a school principal, I certainly don't have that training and so I should never try to do it. Yeah. And so when you recognize that your job is to basically get anybody who's suicidal to the person who can help them, then it becomes a lot more manageable and Mm -hmm. easier. Yeah. And so your job is to just get connect people with who they need to be connected with and then not worry about everything else because there's so much that you can't control and can't do anything about. Yeah. So you just get the kids to the right place or the so, adults if you work with adults. Right. Okay. So when you say overreact, what would be overreacting? So overreacting is taking every hint or suggestion of suicide as serious and they're actually going to follow through with it. Okay. Yep. So if, if somebody says, I hate myself, then you don't just say, Oh, you don't need to hate yourself. Uh-huh. You're wonderful. That doesn't really don't help. Say that. Don't say don't that. Say that. Yeah. yeah. And, and then punish them for expressing the feelings that they're hurting. So whenever there is a situation, then um, we, we followed what we called the QPR response, which is you question and you ask them, are you feeling suicidal and, or do you want to hurt yourself or some other way to get at that question? Uh And it doesn't, you know, you're a teacher teaching in class and the kid says, I hate myself. You're not going to be like, wait, hold on class. Are you feeling suicidal? Like you're not going to do that in front of everybody. You're going to be discreet about it. That's the under sensationalized. So you're going to pull that kid aside one-on-one. You're going to talk with them. You're going to try to reach them heart to heart as another human being, not as a counselor, not as anything else, Uh as a human being. And then you're going to ask them if they are feeling suicidal. And then the persuade part is you let them know that there's hope that no matter what they're going through, there is hope on the other side. And if you are a faith-based person, you can uh-huh. bring that in. If yeah. you're not, you can talk about whatever you need to, to, to yeah. say, this is how I know there's hope. And you can know that too. Yeah. And then when um, the R part goes to refer or respond and okay. you refer them to the right person, which it, the way we did it is you hold their hand and you walk with them to wherever they need to go. Yeah. And that, you know, sometimes you're not physically there. So you can do that through the telephone. Like I'm going to stay on, On I'm going to call the suicide hotline on the other line. I'm going to merge our calls and I'm just going to be here quietly in the background. So you're not alone through this. And I'll stay on the phone with you until uh, the paramedics get to your house or, or anything like that. And, and when you take that approach, people feel like you're in it with them, um, that you're not going through the same thing as them. Yeah. But that you're willing to go through the ugly stuff to make sure that they have support on the other side. Yeah. Um, Okay. So question, persuade, and refer. With persuade, I want to kind of talk a little bit about that because I think that for any teachers or principals or parents that are listening that say one of their students or one of their kids' friends is over and says stuff like that, with persuade and I can only go off of my training and what I think would be beneficial. So you chime in when you think 
I'm wrong mm-hmm. or when you have a better mm-hmm. suggestion, but you want to offer hope. You want them to see that it will be okay at some point. And so I think for a lot of people, what's easy for them to think is to share a story of something they've been through. And that I think can help normalize, but it can also take away from the student or the child. So I think it's important to focus on making sure you're normalizing it. Like, yeah, life sucks sometimes. Or, you know, I went through a hard time, you know, and had some dark thoughts when I was a teenager, but keeping it minimal so that it doesn't turn the attention to the adult, right? You don't ever want to like share your lifelong story about how you were homeless when you were 15 or whatever. Um, And then validate. So validating their emotions, normalizing it, share maybe something that, that, that you feel would be helpful to provide hope, but not take any attention away. Do you agree with that? Or is that, I mean, it's, it takes an art. I think it's a special art to know how to do that the right way. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think offering hope is really, really hard sometimes because when we hear a student talking like that, we get filled with fear. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know for me, all I want to do is just hug them and hold them and say, I promise, I promise it's going to be okay. But is that going to persuade them? No, I have to figure Mm -hmm. out what would persuade them, you know, to get them to understand and truly believe that that things are going to be okay at some point um yeah so what are your thoughts on that yeah so what you don't want is to say anything that will allow the person you're talking with to say you just don't understand yeah yeah because what you're doing then is you're trying to make them think that you do understand and that's not the point of persuading them that there's hope. And there's nothing that you can say, especially to a teenager, because they already feel like you don't understand. They, right. You don't get it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you, you're, you're starting from a difficult position to begin with. Already, and so, yeah. so if you, instead you take a different approach and you just try to say, man, this has got to be really hard. And if you even say, I can't imagine what you're feeling right now, yeah. this must be so difficult. Mm-hmm. That's hard for me to understand, but I want you to know that I believe that you can get through this and that you can have something positive for you on the other side. Yep. And I can't understand how it's feeling for you, but I, I believe in you and I believe in your strength and your resilience that you can overcome this. Yep. And I'm just going to be here to help you however I can. And, and I, w- I also have many times admitted, I have no idea what to do here. Yeah. But I think that that's I, really important to say. And I'll say when teenagers say to me, like, you don't get it or you don't know, or you wouldn't understand. I always say, you're right. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're going through. I, I don't know if I'll ever know what you're going through, you know, but I do know that you are a strong person. I know that. And I know Mm -hmm. that we can get through this. So let me help you. You know, I'll be here right along the way with you, um, to get you through this because I know that you can, I know that you're strong enough. So, yeah. So the other part of that is, um, there, there are two more things I want to say about that. Number one, you, you want them to know that once they've told you they're now safe because you're there and you're not gonna, you're not going to go anywhere until they get some sort of help. So like, um, as a school principal, I, I would say, okay, you're here now you're safe. I'm here with you. I'm not going anywhere. 
but I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about this forever because I know that it's uncomfortable for you. Yeah. So I'm going to do some work and I'm going to give you something to fidget with or mm -hmm. to color or draw or any of that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so that you can, you can have something to occupy yourself yeah. Yeah. and I'm going to occupy myself over here. Mm -hmm. I'm still here. And I'm not doing anything that's important. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just giving you space to deal with what you're going through. Yeah. And if you want to talk and just have a conversation, I can do that too, but you're safe now. So I'm going to, I'm going to back off and not be in your face talking about not this. Not be pushy. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You can control the conversation. You want to talk to me at any point you interrupt me. Cause I'm not doing anything important. I'm like yeah. reading my email or something. Right. So, right. you know, don't even worry about it. Um, and I and will tell all adults that you give any, well, any person really, not just kids, but kids, teenagers, and even adults, something to do with their hands. At yeah. least in my experience, nine times out of 10, they will start talking. They will start opening up yeah. once they start to feel comfortable and they're kind of doodling or coloring or putting Legos together or something that's kind of keeping their hands moving. They will start to feel comfortable, settle themselves down a little bit and open up. Yeah, absolutely. So you, so you give them something to do mm -hmm. that is not, you know, just perseverating on this issue that they're having. Yeah. And then, um, and then you go about your business, but you stay with them. You're still in contact. Like yeah, there, right you're there. right there. Yeah. Um, and then the second piece that I was going to say is that you, you don't need to do any lecturing. Like they already feel bad enough. And we yeah. as adults have a horrible habit of yeah. lecturing people yeah. and explaining in grand detail how this is going to get better and how it's going to be fine. And really we don't need to do that. Nope. Uh, and in fact, it's probably better if you're not lecturing, um, instead of lecturing, it's better to just ask them questions about anything and everything and no yeah. matter what it is or anything, just, just don't go down that lecturing path because all they do is tune you out and they don't pay attention mm -hmm. and they're not, you're not going to do anything to help except make them more frustrated right. that really you don't get it and you're going to prove their point. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the intentions are always good from us as adults when we do start lecturing, um, but it can get away from us and we can all of a sudden be like, you don't want to do that because this, this, and this, and you know, back in my day, da, 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 da. and like they tune you out so quick. I mean, like insert eye roll here, right? Like they're going to get a headache from wanting to roll their eyes so much. So, um, yeah, that's great, great advice. Okay. So then, um, the referral part. So they go to the principal's office or the counselor's office. Or, and I know school systems are different all around. I know here they don't necessarily, I think they're not allowed to give out therapists names. They have mm -hmm. like a list of, of organizations, but they can't refer to specific people. Um, yeah, that's true. What else, um, when, with the referral part, what else do you suggest? Yeah. So let me address that issue yeah. of the referral part, because this is an important distinction to make. Um, okay. You, if, if the school district as an entity is referring someone to counseling, they are essentially saying you need this in order to be educationally successful. Right. Therefore, in order to make you educationally successful, we basically have to foot the bill for that to ensure that you get it. I see. And, and so that's the, the piece about where schools aren't going to refer to that specific yep. counselors. Now, refer doesn't mean go talk to this counselor and schedule an appointment. It means get that person immediate help 
from a medical professional. And that's different because what we're, we're now into a medical area where we're trying to save someone's life, not make them educationally prepared or serve them educationally. We're trying to save their life. And so oftentimes for us, that looked like taking them to the uh, emergency room for a suicide evaluation Uh um, that often meant bringing in a a social worker from our community. Uh If, if you have access to that and if your school has an agreement with that, ours did um, in, in one place and not in others. And so Mm -hmm. we, we were able to do that. And um, in Kodiak where I was, we had a social worker that was on full time at our school. That was, yes, it was amazing. And it was, I felt so, (laughs) I felt so blessed because she made so many things so much easier. I I so wish that was everywhere. So, so badly. Yeah. Yeah. So she, um, she was able to help us through a lot of these things. Um, and, and when we say like, you don't leave the kid's side until that happens, I drove kids to the emergency room. The social worker drove kids to the emergency room. Sometimes we called an ambulance. Usually we didn't because that's part of the under sensationalizing that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, But usually we just like put them in the car and we went because it was that important that we needed to make sure they got help right away. Um, So so referring doesn't just mean go talk to this counselor, but it means get immediate help. Okay. And, and sometimes depending on where you're at, they, that may mean that you get them on the phone with a suicide hotline mm-hmm. and then you stay to make sure that they're still on the phone. Yep. Um, it could mean that you turn them over to their parents yeah. also. So yep. I don't want to discount that because that was, you know, another way that we um, gave them support was by making sure their parents, you know, knew what was going on and, yes. and had them. Sometimes we felt comfortable that their parents would get them the help they needed. Other times, you know, we had situations where parents would say, oh, she says that all the time. It's not a big deal. She's not going to do anything. She's too afraid or whatever. And it's just for attention. Do you hear that a lot? Yeah, it's just for attention. Yep. It's like, okay, thank you. We'll see you at the hospital. Bye-bye. And then we take them to the hospital because if we don't feel like their parents are going to respond adequately, if their parents aren't going to overreact, then we're going to overreact for them yeah. because it's that, that important. So basically overreacting is taking everything very seriously as if they are saying the words, I'm going to go kill myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So what are the benefits from overreacting? So I think the biggest benefit is that it, it normalizes it and, yeah. and makes people feel like, it's okay to be hurting yes. and I'm going to get help if I say I am. Yes. And so we had many students, you know, I could, I, I was never comfortable making the call on my own, but I could have an indication pretty quick if they were serious about it or not. Yes. Um, and so I would bring the social worker in for support every single time yep. because she could make that determination. But oftentimes I'd bring her in and I'd say, I don't think this is a, a real issue because of how the kid was talking. And so that, that made it easier for us to, to overreact in, we would tell the kids, if you say something like this, we are going to act like it's real. So yeah. So no matter what, like our whole staff knows that everybody's aware, this is our, our procedure. These are like, these are, uh, key words that, that trigger an alarm in our head that we are going to follow. So if you're serious, say it. 
and yes. we'll help you. Yes. If you're not serious and you say it, we're going to think you are, and we're mm -hmm. still going to help you. Yep. And part of that overreacting is making sure that they understand that you don't say these things if you're not really feeling them yes. because we're going to do the same exact thing to someone who says, I'm going to kill myself jokingly on the yep. playground because they missed a shot yep. as someone who is actually has a plan because so we can't tell the difference when they say yep. it. So it's teaching kids that it is a serious issue and it's not one to be joked about. Um, did you find that any kids that did it, and then they were like sitting in your office, like, oh crap, they're making a huge deal out of this. And I didn't mm. actually mean it that they, they didn't do it again. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. They so, learned really quick that yeah. we were going to react yeah. and they said, oh, I didn't know you guys were like this. Yep. So now that I know, um, I'm going to do that again. I won't make that I'm not gonna do that. statement. I like that because what I think happens a lot of times in some schools is it's become such a common thing to be talked about and even joked about and which is so sad it's become such a casual conversation among youth that I think a lot of teachers and counselors and maybe even principals are kind of like Ugh, this again kind of rolling their eyes like okay she's not that serious. she's the fifth time she's done this like she's not gonna do it you know and they totally dismiss it and they underreact and then that you know our kids aren't learning anything from that other than it's okay to joke about it or it's okay for it to be casual or I'm never going to be taken seriously no matter how many times I say something like that. You know, it's desensitizing yeah. our culture and I think it's that's the wrong direction that we want to go in. Absolutely. So so what we found is that we we had moments, especially in January and February in Alaska, uh -huh. um, and especially around breaks right before kids wouldn't be at school for a while okay. um, it, where it seemed like that's all we did is respond to kids who were uh, suicidal. Yeah. And to be honest, nine times out of 10, they just needed somebody to talk to and yeah. they weren't really suicidal. They just were stressed, frustrated, upset, bothered, depressed, whatever it was. Sure. And they weren't actually all the way there to being suicidal, right. but didn't know how to communicate it other than I hate my life Going and to I want to kill myself. Right. Yeah. And so and still got them the help they needed, right? Like exactly. Still yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, um, so as a principal, I transformed three different schools to be trauma informed, which basically meant that we would recognize that trauma exists and that we would serve kids as human beings first is how the simple yeah. way that I, that yeah. I think of that. And when we did that, we saw like all these things like crop up and it felt like we were being overwhelmed because there was so much going on. Yes. However, once we started giving kids support, then that quickly dropped off and we could focus on learning a ton more Right. because kids are dealing with crazy changes in their body, crazy changes in their mind that they just don't know how to deal with. And so when you provide that extra support, it makes it much easier for them to, to focus on the things that they need to yeah. when those other things are taken care of. Right. So basically it has to start off a, a bit imbalanced and then it levels mm -hmm. out and yep. it, it's good for the long-term yep. you know, educational and system. And, and once a student talks about suicide, especially with her friends or his friends, 
before it comes to us, because that always happens by the way. And so you need to teach kids that this is how you respond as well. That when somebody says it, you get them to an adult and that adult can get them to the right place. We have to teach our kids to overreact too. Exactly. Yep. That's, that's very important. So once that starts spreading, you get a lot of people who are feeling the same thing and, and are saying, man, if she thinks her life is bad, my life is way worse. I'm going to go, I need to kill myself also. And it's, it's like this, you know, this disease that just spreads throughout the community and you've really got to, you know, when those things happen, then you're going to get a lot of people who are saying, shoot, she's got a great life. And she thinks it's bad. I need to go commit suicide right, too, right? Because my life is way worse, right. and everybody thinks that their life is it's worse. Way worse. And there's no, there's no hope for what they're doing. So, yeah. um, so you've you've really got to when those things happen, you've got to be talking about it everywhere and bringing it up and saying, yeah. if anybody's not feeling happy, come yeah. and talk, and and we'll get you the help that you need. Well, and like yeah. I said, most of the time it's not it's not going to the emergency room. It's much less. Yeah. Um when I first started writing my book before it was titled for the sake of our youth, it was actually titled off the table. Cause I wanted to take suicide off the table because mm-hmm. it's on the table for so many young minds and, and hearts. And, and I write in my book that, you know, kids and teenagers are so impressionable that once they hear about it, either self-harming or suicide, it's not that they dwell on it and spiral into that must be my answer too, but it is now on the table as an option. And that's, what's really scary. And so what I see with a lot of parents and adults is we're too scared to talk about it because we don't want to put it on the table for them. But the reality is it's already on the table because it's being talked about amongst youth anyway. So it's important for us to have more of that um, mindset of intervention early on to like exactly what you're talking about so that, so that they know that there's a safe place to come and get the help that they need or feel that they might need. Okay. Mm-hmm. So moving on. So you first overreact and then you. Under sensationalize. Yeah. Yep. So under sensationalizing means that the right people know yep. who can help this, the person. Yep. So um, sometimes that is just parents and that's enough. Yep. And this is a place where you, there's no right answer about, about figuring this out. But the important thing is that those who can know should know. So I have a story to illustrate this, that, so I was, I was, I've done this work in Utah, in Kodiak, Alaska and Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, And, um, and so I'm sharing this story, not to over sensationalize it, but to illustrate how, if you are wise about your about who you inform, mm-hmm. then additional supports can be put in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, we had a teacher who um, was good friends, family friends with a student. Uh, they went to the same mm-hmm. church and they were a great supportive adult that that mm-hmm. kid could go to, which is totally what we want. JC Pohl calls them charismatic adults who are the yeah. people who can inspire and help kids in yeah. a way that their parents can't, can't. Right. because there's a limit to what parents can yeah. do. Yeah. And there's a limit to what kids will trust their parents to do as well. Absolutely. And so, um, so this teacher uh, that was good friends with this family and this girl came to her and said, Hey, I'm, um, I'm struggling and I want to kill myself. And she said, I got you, I'll help you. And she 
and the parents work together to okay. help the student. Yeah. Now, the problem was is that this all happened not during school on the weekend. And so she thought this is, she maybe happened to be a student at my school, but yeah. she's not, at you know, school. acting in a student, right? She's not right. at school yeah. doing this. So I don't need to let the school know what's going right. on. Okay. And so, so she didn't. Yeah. So a couple months later, unfortunately, and this has a happy ending, don't worry. Otherwise yeah. I wouldn't share it. <laughs> so a couple months later, this girl came again and left a note on the teacher's porch saying, I'm going to go kill myself. Mm -hmm. And the teacher lived close to a dangerous area where mm -hmm. she definitely could do it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so we had to go and look for the student. Now in the time between, it was about two months Okay. where she first helped the student and then the girl left the note. Yeah. And during that time, she didn't ever tell me as her principal or the social worker huh. or the school counselor huh. that this girl had this episode on the weekend. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, under sensationalizing, you would think, well, we don't want to go and tell everybody, but the people who could have been checking up on her for those two months at school where this teacher actually didn't have her as a student either. She was, um, she was not in any of her classes at yeah. that moment. Yeah. Um, she didn't have a connection at school that could consistently check in on her. Yeah. And so we needed to, to be aware so that we could provide that support Absolutely. and help her and make sure that she wasn't, you know, continuing to think those thoughts, yeah. make sure that she had counseling outside of school or inside of school as the case may be. Yeah. Um, and so that when she left that note, and then we found out that she had already uh, talked about it a couple months before. Um, it was very frustrating because she under sensationalized to the point where other people who could have been instrumental in her care yeah. did not know. And yeah. so part of what we did as a school is every week we would talk with the counselor, the social worker, the principal, and, um, and one of our leadership team members about who was struggling and uh -huh. what what efforts needed to be taken for those kids wow. so we weren't bringing everybody in but when a kid was suicidal we made sure that every one of their teachers knew that yes. if they express anything they they if get a green pass I, yes yeah they get a green pass to leave class and yes. come down never by themselves always with the teacher or their friend who could yes. bring them down to the mm -hmm. office um, and you know, we had those protocols in place. So yeah. we would let people know we wouldn't like if somebody attempted or gave a description of what they were doing, we wouldn't share all of that with the whole school and say, this gotcha. is what's going on. Yeah. But we would let those who needed to know, know so mm -hmm. that they could provide support. Yeah. So that would include letting teachers know so-and-so is going through a hard time right now. Yep. If they need to talk to me, they yep. can come down. And our teachers understood that that meant that they were likely struggling with suicidal ideation. Yep. And we would, we would say if they can't be left alone, then come down with them if they're feeling yep. that way. But we didn't have to say that all the time. Yep. It was usually this kid's struggling when they need some help, let them get some help. Right. So what happened with this girl who left the note on the porch is we eventually were able to find her, but okay. she was very close to a dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. And I was actually the one who did find her and the look of relief and gratitude that she had on her face was something that I will never forget. 
and the look of fear that she was actually that close to doing something because she really didn't want to, but couldn't see a way out. Good news is once we knew we got her help, we got her support and we, you know, got everybody together and said, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, then I stepped back because I was the principal, not a social worker. And, and they took the lead on that, but we made sure that she had the support that she needed. Yeah. And it wasn't just like, Oh yeah, I'm sure she'll be fine. Yeah. She's just having a hard time because I yelled her or I took away her phone so we can just blow it off. Um, so once people know, and they know well enough to, um, to not make a big deal about it. And, you know, there are certain people that you just can't tell because you know, they're going to talk about it. And so they just don't get to know any of this. Right. And that's okay too, because they're not going to respect that student's privacy enough to, to keep it only to those who need to know. And so it's, it's really important to be able to get the right people involved, but not too many people. And so you've got to keep a a tight knit group. Everybody has to agree to that confidentiality to protect that student. And so, you know, we didn't, we didn't publicize how many students had suicidal ideation, but I will tell you there was a lot. We didn't keep data on that in order to not over sensationalize it because Uh we didn't want it to be a, you know, we're, we're all talking about it. Our social worker, she kept her data for her sure. job, yeah. but but that wasn't something that we talked about. Like we stopped so many suicides this year. That's yeah. not no. that's not what we were about. Um, yeah. And and what what really matters is that each one of these people who is struggling with suicidal ideation needs to feel like they are a unique, cared for individual. Yeah, and they're more than just another number, right? A number in the and, school. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in school, we have a hard time doing that because we have this mistaken idea that everybody needs to have the same thing and they don't, they need something unique and individualized for yes. them. Yeah. So it's about giving attention in the right way. Mm-hmm. To the problem. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the right way can solve the problem yeah. and the wrong way can drive them to it. Yes. And once you understand that, that that's, that's what you're dealing with. Yeah. That if you, if you make that person feel badly because they want to commit suicide, mm-hmm. then you're just going to drive them away and they're never going to come and talk to you again. Yeah. Or yeah. you could actually drive that person to do something, which right. is, is really tragic. And so yeah. when you have not that your cult- intention, no, no, yeah. certainly not. No. And so when you have the culture of we're all going to work together to support someone. And, and like you mentioned before, um, kids, knowing that that's what you need to do kids feeling comfortable reporting to an adult yeah and and i had a another situation where a student stayed home from school Mm -hmm. and uh took some pills and we didn't know what they were and her friends were really scared but didn't know who to go talk to and so they um i i saw them in the hall and knew that there was something wrong so i said what's going on yeah. And they said, we're really scared because our friend Is took something yeah. and she's at home and, um, and we're really scared. And yeah. I said, well, are you, are you texting her? Or are you talking to her? And they said, well, we are, um, we're texting her. And I said, we'll call her, make sure she's okay. Yeah. And then you're going to go to the office and you're going to sit there 
and with our counselor and you're going to stay on the phone yeah. and we're not going to leave this girl alone. No. We couldn't get a hold of her parents. And so I went to her house to make yeah. sure that she wasn't alone. Yeah. And, and thankfully um, she didn't take anything that would be uh, kill her. She just, yeah. she took something that would just make her sick. And, right. and that's a situation where when the kids understood that they needed to let an adult know, mm-hmm. they knew for about 15 before I, I saw them and they looked panicked. Yeah. And so, yeah. so once they knew, and at that point we said, if anybody ever talks about this, you need to come report it to yes. the principal, yes. to your teacher, to any other adult, because every adult knows we're going to get it right back yep. to the people who can help. Yes. So here's the amazing thing. As I mentioned, those girls, uh, when they're talking, um, they're going to think, well, I thought her life was really good and she thought it was bad enough. So my life is way worse than hers. Yeah. I, I should probably take some similar steps. Uh-huh. That, that happened in that small group of okay. girls. And we, we got so much support for that group of girls. It uh-huh. was just crazy. Yeah. And it went through several different phases and cycles. And, and what was amazing is these girls all knew they could come and get help. Yeah. And so instead of any of them hurting themselves or doing something stupid, yeah. they came to us and they, they got help. So because of that, that overreacting and under sensationalizing, you know, we didn't go blab to everybody else. We made sure those girls knew yeah. You don't tell anybody what happened with this girl. You're right. in a privileged position now. And that means that you respect her and respect her confidentiality yeah. and you don't go and share this, but the whole friend group knew. And so they yeah. were all feeling all these feelings that they didn't know how to deal with. So wow. we, we supported them. And then all these other things happened with that friend group that was just amazing to watch how everybody rallied around yeah. um, to support them because we were acting with, with good intentions and trying to help Love them that. make good choices. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say just to give some parents ease and teachers some ease that that doesn't happen every time where a friend has a suicidal ideation and the response is, well, my life is worse or my life is hard. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should think about that too. I have had so many clients who really do have a harder life than one of their friends and they have never thought about going down that road. So it, it does happen because kids are so impressionable, but it also, I don't, I don't know if there's any statistics on this, but I would say it happens just as much where the friend becomes a supportive friend and not looking at their life as, well, maybe I need to think about it that way too. So, um, or I don't know if you feel that way too, Jethro, but I think that there's just as many that I, I know I can say that from my own personal experience. I saved my friend when I was 13 years old, she, um, attempted suicide and, and I was the one that saved her life. And, and it, it didn't ever sit there and give me the thought of maybe I should think about that. It was more like, well, now I can't think about that because, I've got to make sure I'm strong for everyone and other people. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to make sure I'm not the friend who's struggling in that way. Um, and I'm going to, you know, make sure that I'm strong for my friends that do struggle. So it, it can have different um, effects on everyone. Yes. And, and I think that's a good point to bring up. And as um, in the last episode of your podcast that I listened to, where you're uh-huh. talking about the mommy burnout, yeah, that, 
that expectation then that I have to be the the strong yeah. one huh? can also be a real challenge. And yeah. if you, um, I, I'm sounding real pessimistic today. And no, I, no, I'm no, not no. Usually it's this very kind of person, real. But. It's the reality <laughs> of that pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so being able to, um, so for one of the other students in this friend group, um, she, she felt like she had to be the strong one for yeah. all of her friends. Yeah. And that eventually made her feel like she, all she was ever yeah. doing was taking care of Saving other people. Everyone. Yeah. 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 And, and that's too much pressure to put sure. on someone. And sure. so, so I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because it doesn't always happen that way, yeah. but that was one of the issues that she, she just got wore down because she, she thought she had to do that. And, yeah. and when, when you recognize that, you know, kids and adults and everybody needs mental health support yeah. all throughout their lives, yes. then it's, it, it changes how you approach that and how you deal with it so yes. that people can, can get that help that they need and can have support when they need it. Yep. And not just at a time when it's, you know, at that point where it's, it's really bad. And, right. and that's what we want to do is, is get that support way before. Um, yes. But, but anybody who is exposed to that, to suicidal ideation or an attempt or anything like that, it leaves an impact. And it does. We, that's, that's the thing that we've got to pay attention to mm-hmm. is that, it's it's likely, like you mentioned, going to change how you deal with things in the future. And it's really important to be sensitive to that, yes. that the kids, this friend group, there were so many issues. They weren't all about suicidal ideation. Yeah. They were about other issues too, but so many issues came up because um, because their friend had gone through this and it, yeah. it made them all reevaluate what was going on. Yeah. And so some it was, gosh, I just feel like all I ever do is, is be the strong one and my life's not perfect and I need to talk about things. Right. And it's like, well, come talk to the counselor. <laughs> like, let's, right. let's take care of this. You know, yeah. everybody goes through hard stuff and we've got to be able to be there absolutely. for them no matter what they're going through. Yeah, absolutely. And I, even today, like I'll have a client that comes in and says, you know, she'll be 14 and she'll say, I mean, I don't have any problems to talk about. And I'm like, well, this isn't always a place just for problems. This is a place for growth, you know? And they're like, but I don't, I don't, have some of the issues that some of your other clients have. Like, I don't think about suicide or I don't have a mom that beats me. And I'm like, well, good. Well, we have, you know, that's a great place to start. Then we're not in crisis mode, you know? Um, And I think that you're right. Like it's very easy to sit there and go, well, I, I shouldn't complain about my life or I shouldn't be upset about my life or I shouldn't go to someone and talk about my struggles because mine's not as bad as these other people's, you know? And the truth of the matter is, and I make a big deal about this in my book is life is hard for everyone, everyone, and especially Mm -hmm. teenagers, because there's so many emotions and hormones that are kicking in that they have no idea how to balance that. So, um, so yeah, I agree that it could potentially, it could have pushed me into that direction. Luckily Mm -hmm. it didn't, it may have created a little bit of a codependent (laughs) Situate yeah. personality thing for me, you know, that through the years I had to navigate so that I could become a therapist with boundaries rather than a mm-hmm. friend, a codependent friend with no boundaries. Yeah. So, or yeah. a girlfriend that definitely happened. But, um, so yeah, well, thank you so, so much, Jethro, for getting together with me on this. Um, really quick, I want to talk about your new podcast that I was a guest on. Can you share mm-hmm. with everyone what that's going to be about and when that's coming out and all that? 
Yeah, so um, that should be coming out next week. It's called Cyber Traps. Oh. And I'm co-hosting that with the author Fred Lane, who wrote a whole bunch of books about cyber traps for educators, cyber traps for new parents, cyber traps for the young. And it's all about the problems that we can get into online and how to not get into them. And yeah. so I'm I'm really excited about that because um, there's, there's a generational divide between um, parents and their kids. And there's also so many things that are happening out there in the world right now that um, we're not really paying attention to that we, if we did pay attention, then we would feel much better about some of the choices that we make. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So, so that you can next week. E yes. Yeah, so uh, middle of December, I think is when we're hoping okay, to get cool. that one out. Um, and uh, cybertraps.com is where you can go uh, to check out those books and the podcast as well. Okay. Are y'all on social media at all? Or will you be? Uh, I'm sure we will eventually. Yeah. I haven't quite okay. gotten there yet, but. Cool. <laughs> and then yeah. my and last question is, um, how can I get you to come to Texas to teach my kids school all of this yes. stuff I wanted? Yes. Excellent. Well, um, I do uh, these trainings and intentionally I don't, I, I say I'm not a therapist because yeah. I, I want schools to understand that you don't have to be a therapist to have good practices. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, so if anybody's interested in that, jethrojones.com, there's a little button called Let's Talk and or schedule a call with Jethro um, okay. and just click on that and schedule a time and we can we can talk about what that looks like and how yeah. I can I can help schools do some of that stuff because it's so important for us to yeah. have some practical common sense solutions yeah. that we don't have to feel like the the training is telling teachers to go in and be counselors because yeah. they're not and we shouldn't ask them they've already got too much on their plates yeah Excellent. well thank that you so great. much for your time Jethro I really really appreciate it and this was thank so you. so helpful I know this is going to help so many teachers and principals and parents kind of just have a guideline of what to do in those situations so thank you great thank you so if you guys are liking what you're hearing I would love it if you could give me some feedback actually scratch that even if you especially if you don't like what you're hearing I love feedback even if it's not the nicest I want to hear all about it even if it's about crappy audio or I edited something weird or I said a word in a weird way which that does happen sometimes anything or I'm smacking my gum which I'm trying not to do I'm trying not to have gum when I record um, anything or if I'm saying um too much or talking too much whatever I want to hear it and so before you go just hey that's like that song I love that song <clears throat> can I sing you want me to sing it for you so before you go you know what I mean was there something I could have said to make your heart beat better? If only I'd have known you had a storm to weather. I think I'm going to make that like my theme song. Well, I can't make it my theme song, but. So, before you go, was there something I could have said to make it all stop hurting? Kills me how your mind can make you feel so worthless. So, before you go, I like that. <laughs> For those of you who don't know me, I love to sing even if I shouldn't. So, there you go. 
leave me a review on the podcast, on Apple Podcasts. I would love it. I would really appreciate it. Write me, DM me, whatever. Go to the link in my bio on Instagram at the mom therapist, and there's a tab there that says Ask Tessa. You can literally call in a question or a comment or feedback or whatever. Just let me know. I love interacting with people, and because of COVID, I haven't had the chance to do that as much. So, yeah, talk to me. <laughs>